I'm not that interested in being a sort of like allyship coach for white people or sort of Mm. where do we go from here and I think it's a question that I've been asked so many times in the past and and it's very much a what do we do I'm like I'm not going to do nothing (laughs) you guys figure out what to do I I I understand and respect there are certain black writers and activists who are happy to do that work and to make recommendations but that's not what I set out to do with this essay it's not what I set out to do with my work I feel like the only thing that I can do is to speak honestly and to tell the truth about the situation and yeah I'm not gonna sort of break my back trying to persuade white people to do the right thing is how I feel Hi everyone. The format is a little bit different for this week's episode of Storytellers, so I'll explain a little bit at the top about how the sausage was made. This episode interweaves two conversations. An interview that I had with the amazing Otega Uwagba, who you just heard now at the top, about her new essay, Whites. And a much more personal conversation between my best friend Zandi and I about the topics the essay brings up. To be clear, uh, on the order of events, Zandi and I both read the essay, then she sent me some questions, which I used during my interview with Otega. I then played that interview back for Zandi, and we got to speak to the various themes. It may sound a little confusing, but as you listen, it'll make sense, I promise. This is what came out of it. Okay, so today is a little bit of a different episode of Storyteller because I'm not alone. Oh my god, hi. Is someone else here? (laughs) (laughs) Hi. It's Sandy. We're going to be tackling, we're going to be talking about race. For everyone who can't see me, I'm a white woman. Zandi, I don't know if you want to introduce yourself (laughs) racially for the context of this conversation. I'm Zandi and I'm... And, and I am a black woman. So the reason I have Zandi here today is because today's guest on the podcast is the writer Otega Uwagba. She is the author of the Sunday Times bestselling career guide called The Little Black Book, a toolkit for working women. And she also founded Woman Who, which is a London-based platform for creative women. But the reason she's on the podcast today is because she's written a new essay, which is called Whites on race and other falsehoods. So instead of me trying to explain what the essay is about, I'm just going to read the description, which is that white is presented as a record of Uwagba's observations in this era-defining moment in history that is George Floyd's brutal murder and the subsequent protests and scrutiny of institutional racism. I really wanted to speak to Otega because I think there hasn't been a, enough, at least, discussion about like the story of whiteness. Yeah. The whole podcast is supposed to be about storytelling and how we build how we build narratives. And I think in a, in a way she like almost others whiteness in a way that needs to be othered so that you can have a conversation about it, if that makes sense. In the way that blackness is othered. Yeah, yeah. In many of the conversations. So like you can't look at it if you don't think it's there kind of thing. Mm. What did you think when you first read Whites? I liked the essay. I thought it was, it's all the meditations, I guess, to be honest, that most black people have. You you read stuff and you're just like, yes, 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 and then yes. Mm-hmm. And then you go back. Um, I read it twice, actually. And um, yeah, and I, I appreciated also the intro, especially because that's the question that I was having the most when I first saw the topic is like, are we having a conversation that's centering white people? But then her explanation made sense about like, 
well, you're, then you're just not speaking about the elephant in the room. Um, mm. So, yeah, I, I appreciated that about it. And, and just like, yeah, as I said, like most of, a lot of the stuff there did resonate um, a lot. So normally I do a little intro. So I just say, welcome everyone to Storyteller. This is a podcast about how and why we tell stories. You can say welcome to Storyteller. Welcome to Storyteller, <laughs> a podcast on how and why. Did I do good? Yeah. Um, <laughs> a podcast on how and why we tell stories. There we go. You got it down. This is, um, this is Zandi and your host is Lisa Golden. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, it's so nice to be on a podcast with you again. So, yeah, I really, so I guess a few things to start off with. We are, but single human beings, we will not solve racism in this 40 uh, minute conversation. And I can only speak for myself. I definitely will not get everything right. And I'm just going to try my best. And I'm going into it with the best of intentions. I didn't want to shy away from this conversation because I think that's the whole problem is that there's a lot of white people who are who are well-meaning but too scared to engage in this conversation because they don't want to be called racists. And that is a privilege that you get to have um, to keep yourself safe and to not speak up. So not that this is any kind of speaking up, but I'm here to have the conversation and here to make mistakes. So Zendi, I'm sure you will tell me. Please tell me if I if I make any really bad mistakes. <laughs> well, I think you'll I think you'll know. You'll know, yeah, girl. You'll know. Yeah. Can you just do some more emotional labor for me, please? Thank you. Thank you. Don't worry about it. Girl. Okay, thanks, babes. Okay, great. So for everyone listening, um, I'm just going to, I won't do the whole normal spiel at the beginning, but just please subscribe, subscribe. It makes a huge difference to the podcast or it will just follow me on social media. Um, if you just search Lisa Golden Storyteller, you will find everything that you need. But just to start you off, here's the beginning of my conversation with Ortega. Well, Ateka, thank you so much for joining me on Storyteller today. Um, so I just, I would like to start the podcast by asking, um, I guess, if they consider themselves storytellers. Do I consider myself a storyteller? That is a great question. Hmm. I think so, yes. I think that is the sort of the nature of the type of writing that I do or the type of writing that I'm doing more of. I definitely feel with, you know, the essay that I am publishing very soon, that was very much about telling a story and about sort of it was sort of someone described it as a mini memoir mm. which I felt was quite accurate it was very much kind of telling a series of anecdotes from my life but also kind of building a broader narrative I think that you know that form like an essay and the sort of essay that I wrote is very much um a story so yes yeah yeah and I think I mean why I especially wanted it for for this podcast specifically is that it is in, a narrative like obviously whiteness as a narrative and as the story that is like in so desperate need of of challenging and of of um being made visible mm. can you tell me about the circumstances that led to writing white and I think it'd be really interesting just to talk to that tension of wanting to write about the specific experience and not wanting to center it on whiteness and finding it that sort of a really difficult thing to navigate mm, yeah so I had been thinking about or sort of working on the ideas that I explore in whites for years now I think quite specifically since 2015 is when I first started making notes on it that have you know since turned up in the actual essay and I'd always wanted to write something about race 
um, and racism and my experiences of it, but I hadn't really known what form it would take. And I started thinking about it more seriously last year. And essentially, I'd sort of just making these notes where I jotted down thoughts or feelings or observations or stories that happened to me onto mm. this long document. And last year, I started thinking more seriously about sort of shaping it into an essay. I was considering pitching it a few places. Um, but then, you know, I, I had, being very realistic, I had another book to work on, so I put it on the back burner. But then when George Floyd was killed back in May, I, I found that white people responded in sort of very surprising and also deeply unsurprising ways. Mm. And it just suddenly gave the things I'd wanted to say in that essay sort of a renewed sense of urgency and it suddenly felt like the things that I'd wanted to say for a long time absolutely had to be said right now. Yeah. It couldn't wait till next year. It couldn't, you know, which had been sort of my original timeline was to look at it in a year or two. I felt like, so it, it's only really partly a response to the events of recent months. You know, it's also much bigger than I think just this particular moment in history. And it's a product of, you know, decades really of my yeah. own experiences and, and thoughts but as you said yeah I did I felt a real one of the first things I had to navigate in terms of how I approached it was that conflict I felt between wanting to write a truthful essay but not wanting to write about white people white yeah. people um yeah. and then you know and I, I talk about that in the essay in the introduction but just that conflict because I being perfectly honest felt slightly disturbed by this new genre of sort of books about racism addressed to white people sort of anti-racism handbooks it's really not for me and I, I really didn't want this essay to fall into that category I didn't want this to be you know when I when I read or hear about those books I don't feel like they're for me as a black person yeah I feel like they're written and addressed to white people and I didn't want to write an essay about race and white people that was for white people so but I also knew that white people would be reading I mean the, yeah. the book is the title is addressed to them it has their name on it <laughs> yeah. um, so I had to kind of navigate how I was going to write an essay that served multiple audiences people of all races because I wanted black people to take something away from this and to feel vindicated by it and to feel like I'd put into words you know experiences and feelings that they'd perhaps had but hadn't known how to articulate but I was also conscious that white people were going to be reading it. So that was something I had to figure out at the start. But I, I think I managed to do it. Yeah. And I wanted to, I mean, I was going to ask this a bit later in the conversation, but I was thinking about how by, by writing and publishing whites now, I, I, I really, I thought the discussion of um, trapdoors, that really, it, it meant a lot to me because I just have mm. seen, I've seen those situations play out so many times. And yeah. um, I suddenly just, thought you must have had to have made a calculation of by writing this book knowing that you're going to put yourself into these situations where a lot of people are going to say you know put you in these trapdoor situations so I think maybe if you could explain the the concept of the trapdoors and the calculation you made of I guess the necessity of writing the book versus I mean doing stuff like that like this doing press and promoting it and mm. knowing that you're going to put yourself in the firing line for a bunch of really um you know potential like hurtful damaging annoying comments yeah that's um a really sort of I guess self-aware 
question to ask because that's definitely something that I thought about. So for people who don't know, the idea of the trapdoor racism is, I guess, a term that was coined by the journalist Wesley Morris um, in an article he wrote about five years ago, which was reviewing that awful movie, Ted 2, the one with like, the talking bear. Oh, God, And yeah. he essentially discusses watching that film and there is, I can't remember exactly what happens, but there's just a really kind of racist moment in it that he just hadn't been expected. He'd gone to watch like a comedic film about a talking bear. Mm. And he talks about the trapdoor racism being, you know, as a black person or a person of colour, an awareness that being friends with white people, being around white people, there will be moments where you are suddenly surprised by an unexpected sort of racist comment or incident and and it always takes you by surprise. And so he kind of talks about this trapdoor opening under you, which I thought was just such a visceral and potent image. And when I read it years ago, it really stuck in my mind. And I think it's something that you instantly understand and resonates with you if you are black or a person of colour, because we've all been in those situations. Um, and so I knew that, yes, writing this essay and putting myself out there in terms of talking about race would as you say, kind of opened me up to potentially more of those situations. And, you know, it's already kind of happened a little bit. Mm. I think for me, the reason that I feel capable of doing that now is that I have a lot better boundaries than I did, you know, in my 20s and early on in my life. And so I feel very comfortable shutting down situations or calling out situations Um which is not something that I felt comfortable doing, you know, a number of years ago. So hmm. I know that I'm going to be in certain situations and but I, I feel quite able to kind of shut down or walk away and just to kind of not prioritise kind of politeness or white people's feelings in those scenarios. And so that's why I feel sort of okay about putting myself out there in this way but yeah you're completely right that it's something that there was a bit of me that was sort of rolling my eyes as I as I sort of made the decision to put it out there because I just thought this is going to invite a lot of frustrating conversations yeah into my life but I think for me the the goal of what I was trying to treat, achieve just feels feels greater than that sort of personal discomfort essentially So, Zandi, had you heard of that um, concept of trapdoors before? I hadn't heard of it, but it sort of made very innate sense. I hadn't, I hadn't, but it made, yeah, it, it did it, it did ring true because obviously being South African, obviously there's many, there are many instances where you end up in, um, obviously you're black and, you you know, you're in a majority black country, but then moving here, you're in, many white spaces, just like white people all over the place. It's, it was kind of overwhelming at first. And um, yeah, and even well-meaning people can just sort of, yeah, it, it, it jumps out. It's really, that's, <laughs> the racism just jumps yeah. out is, uh, is the phrase that one of my friends says. Um, yeah, but I, I, I found that I found that interesting. Also the idea yeah. of, of the trapdoor is quite an interesting way of putting it. Because to be honest, I mean, A, my first thought is I've probably definitely done that to you myself yeah. in the history of our friendship. Definitely. I don't know if you can remember anything specific, mm. um, but then, I, so there's that. And then also I've been in situations into spaces that I've invited you in and watched yeah. it happen. I feel. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's the, 
that's the thing with being around white people, I guess. It's it's just it's sort of just half of the course, if that makes sense a little bit. So, you mm. know, I we we've been to a couple of events together um in South Africa and here, I suppose, where I was the only black person or I was one of two black people or something like that. Yeah. And yeah, you know, they, I mean, I don't necessarily want, because I feel like if anybody in your life is listening to this, they will know it's them. <laughs> but yeah, there has definitely been touch and go moments with somebody just like, you know, touching me on the shoulder and being like, oh my God, your hair. Um, that's, yeah. that's, uh, that's an often said one. I have an Afro. So the idea of trapdoors rings true because because you're, you feel like you're in a, a safe space, right? Or you think you should be in a safe space because all these people, they, they should, you know, be well-meaning and liberal and, you know, and subscribe yeah. to the same, yeah. uh, you know, sarcastic magazines you do. But at the end of the day, they are white. Yeah. They are white and they just, they, you know, they, they are things that they will say, um, whether they realize it or not, that will, yeah. And I think even specifically, like if I think about certain situations where it is very intimate, like you're in people's homes and I can say reliably that's when, you know, especially if there are only white people, that is when racism is much more apparent because people think that they're safe mm. um, and that everyone there thinks like them. So, yeah, it is something I've, I've, I've thought about and definitely seen because I think with our friendship, I like you said, yeah, sometimes I quite mostly I'm bringing you into exclusively white spaces um where then you're yeah you just by default yeah are racialized because of your oneness I guess yeah so do you ever I mean have you ever cancelled on something or have you ever is, is it something that you like steal yourself a bit for before you like knock on the door just being like no, it just might be like I decline an invitation <laughs> or, and it's not, and it, it's just like, oh, I can't, I can't, I can't, yeah. I can't, not right now. And there was, um, I, I think it's weird. So I don't know, I don't remember, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a time when we went, um, I think it was the first or the second time I went to your house and, uh, and your parents were really lovely, da, 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 da. I came in but your dogs wouldn't stop barking at me. Uh, and I don't know if like, if you are South African yeah. and you know that like some of the South African dogs are trained mm. to hate black people yeah. or like to, to like not like them because like generally, you know, crime levels or something or just like racist ass people yeah. who are just like, yeah, if yeah. you see a black person, except for the maid, yeah. um, you know, so when that happened, I saw how red your face got because mm. you were just like, oh my God, no, my dogs are really nice. It's just that you're new. And I'm just like, okay, that's probably, that is probably it. Yeah. <laughs> but at the end of it, yeah. everybody saw the underlying yeah. thing was that, yeah, you are actually black and these dogs are barking at you quite a yeah. bit. Yeah. You don't know what to do. So we'll just shuffle you into the house. Please come into the house. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's really so yeah, it's, 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 yeah. So obviously nobody was actively being racist to me in that moment, but there is that whole, that thing like oh whoops <laughs> whoops whoops racist dogs yeah, yeah yeah that's a really interesting example yeah, yeah. I, yeah I, i've forgotten about that yeah it's really i think that's the beauty is like we can't actually talk about like any trapdoor moments because it'll actually be people that we know who might be listening which i mean to be honest in this hour of george floyd maybe that is cool mm, yeah well, I, mean, <laughs> again, I, mean? I think that's the whole point is that like for people i think there's also a thing about just being like yes these things are going to happen and it's better just to be like to again speaking ex exclusively to white people which i 
is the only people I can I want to really speak to in this in this episode is that like yeah it's awkward and uncomfortable and it's real and you just have to kind of like be like oh yeah fuck that's bad yep 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 you know and then to just do better next time I think shying away from these things is kind of a big problem and now back to my conversation with Ateka Yuagba. I could I could see it in the essay and it did make me laugh because I also really struggled with this performativity over over the summer mm. and it led to really interesting conversations about white silence versus white performativity versus action um I guess what I what I'd be interested to know is like how you feel about that performativity um in an age of COVID where people don't have they only really have their online spaces to see each mm. other yeah, I mean, I think there was obviously the fact that we were in the middle of a global pandemic and, you know, isolated and having our movement, you know, restricted when George Floyd was killed and when the protests began. I think that definitely shaped how people responded to it. And, you know, as I kind of noted in the essay, I do think social media became even more prominent because in many ways that was the only way that most of us had to communicate with the outside mm. world. Um and I, you know, I, I'm not entirely against social media activism. And, you know, I, I think it can be really, as we saw, a really vital way of spreading information. You know, these days it's a news source and a media channel all of its own. And, you know, especially in June and beyond, it was a really, I think, effective way of marshalling funds to the various causes that fall under the Black Lives Matter umbrella. I think the Minnesota Bail Fund raised something like 30 million dollars and you know that's something that I personally would not have had not heard of before and don't think I would have heard of been aware of had it not been for social media I think for me where it goes wrong and I'm obviously talking specifically about white people because I think Mm. black people posting you know white people and black people can post the same the exact same thing and I think to me it registers completely differently I think where it goes wrong is when that social media activity becomes the end goal or people are just sort of posting mindlessly like you know there was this thing with the Breonna Taylor I guess challenge I, I, it makes me feel ill to call it that but where people sort of posting black and white photos of her with hashtags underneath like challenge accepted and women supporting women and you know there was no additional context there was no sort of call to action like it really failed to convey any kind of meaningful message and yeah. I found it so reductive and I, I felt like so much of what I saw was people posting stuff for the sake of being seen to speak and to say stuff and you know white people educating other white people and racism I just I just found it completely mind-boggling so I think for me most of the social media responses were a source of irritation Mm. um and in terms of how people can do it productively I, I think there just wasn't there just didn't seem to be much consideration about what was being posted and how can I genuinely say something meaningful or how can I genuinely be helpful there was a real kind of copycat nature to it people just kind of screenshotting and posting stuff that they'd seen elsewhere without really taking time to sit with it um so I found yeah I found social media a challenging place to be during during those past few months yeah um actually so I had a um a a question from Zandi which I'll just read out to you which just fits in with what we're talking about here so she wrote it's a very millennial question but um how have you adjusted or ramped up your self-care routine post George Floyd 
and she said also have you adjusted the way that you use or think about social media because there's been such a source of solidarity but also of black pain I think I'm trying to use social media less which isn't just related to um George Floyd's killing and, and what happened afterwards um but I I am cognizant of the fact that overall I think it's sort of detrimental to kind of my clarity of thinking and, and my focus and it, it just kind of chips away at my time in a really um pernicious way yeah I think again what I said earlier about boundaries mm. and about not prioritizing because it, it, about not prioritizing kind of white people's comfort or feelings over mine because then that shifts the discomfort onto me yeah and that's something that's a weight that I have to carry so it's about being just pre- pretty brutally honest I think when certain situations come up and and just yeah feeling able to move away from you know I I don't engage with people who challenge my work on race for instance I just block them yeah yeah (laughs) which is you know I, I you know I think there's this mentality that oh you should um should engage with people and try and persuade them to your way of thinking and I'm like other people can do that but that's not something I'm willing to do. So yesterday somebody posted something, somebody posted a comment on my Instagram, just kind of moaning about, oh, you critical race theorists. And I just, I just blocked them. I was like, I'm not getting, I'm not getting involved with it. It's just how I I But of course it's also Um, like, why is that your work to do? It's not at all, right? It's it's not, it's not. And I'm not, I'm not really, you know, I don't really see the purpose of this essay or of my work as a writer is trying to you know persuade racists or people who are skeptical around to my way of thinking Mm. um that's not a burden that I'm willing to take on I just see the purpose of my work as telling the truth that was really what I was seeking to do with this work and people can respond to that however they want but it's you know I'm even just in terms of the promotion of this essay being quite selective with who who I do and don't talk to because I only really want to have certain sorts of conversations and you know that might be you know people might accuse me of like being some sort of like you know echo chamber or like a filter bubble I really don't care yeah I just it's I think it's about self-preservation at this stage yeah yeah um and I think self-preservation is an interesting um way to move forward because I think so um Sandy had just written me a, a, a note being like basic question how do you navigate having close relationships with white people now uh how do you avoid being the dumping ground of their guilt is it possible to ever fully feel yourself and relaxed about them so I'd love to hear what you have to say about that and then maybe I can just tell you a little bit about um like what we've been discussing in terms of how we're trying to navigate that yeah that's a great question I mean I think in some ways quite selfishly I feel like writing this essay which you know one of my white friends and acquaintances are going to read is quite a useful on a personal basis quite a useful sort of statement Mm. as to my feelings um but obviously that's not why I wrote the essay it's not just intended for my friends you know I I keep coming back to you know and I'll just read it again the the quote that I used for the epigraph Mm. whites which comes from thick which is a collection of essays by an academic and sociologist called Tressie Macmillan Cotton and and she I, I read this 
and it just really stuck with me because I think it just really perfectly encapsulated that kind of contradiction and tension. Um, so she says, to know our whites is to understand the psychology of white people and the elasticity of whiteness. It is to be intimate with some white persons, but to critically withhold faith in white people categorically. Yeah. And to me, that just felt, you know, I have close relationships with white people. Some of my best friends are white. That's, you know, what I, I like to say. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know that I do. I can 100% trust white people or be... 100% myself around white people I can get close and you know race isn't necessary at the forefront of my mind every minute every day and so it's absolutely possible to maintain you know really beautiful relationships with them but I think yeah that's something that I've kind of realized in like the past year or so and, I, and I'm, I'm like that's just kind of the way it is you know I had after the one thing I will say, just being, you know, quite personal disclosure, but after George Floyd was killed and because of what happened, I had to have a lot of very difficult conversations with white friends of mine who, you know, who I just felt like had been inadequate on that subject in the past. And and again, I kind of talk about that in the essay, kind of having this influx of messages and to some people, I just had to be like, where have you been? Um, so that was challenging. And being honest, some people didn't make the cut. Um, yeah. And then, Again, I guess there's that, that transference of like, either you're holding that discomfort or they are, right? So Yeah, exactly. And, and I refuse to hold that discomfort hmm. any longer. Um, and I also refuse to make allowances yeah. any longer. And now back to me and Sandy. I think this concept of performativity was super interesting and I was so interested to read it from um, Otega's point of view and hear what she had to say about it because I know personally this was something that I really struggled with over the summer. Okay, so basically there was this dilemma, I think, as a, as a white person, which again comes from the space where like the stakes are so low um really for you but the question was we were all stuck at home there was this virus ripping through the world um and the question kind of was like how do you show your allyship and the problem was there was quite a lot of what it felt like to me at least very superficial um uh, virtue signaling I guess is what we would call it and it was just it was just a bit hard and then I think on the other side of things I then didn't post anything because I was very sort of falling more, in, more into the thing of it being quite insulting that white people were like, oh my God, racism's real. <laughs> Who knew? Um, yeah, yeah. So, but then when we eventually spoke, so then there, there was that was happening. Then I was also thinking about how I knew what you were going through and I didn't want to like bring that stuff to you because I think there's also a really important conversation about white friends and white lovers and white Every, everywhere there's an interracial relationship, the white person bringing their guilt and their shame and their confusion to their black friends who've already got enough on their plate and don't need to like emotionally look after their closest and their nearest and dearest while trying to deal with their stuff. Which then just, when we eventually managed to speak, sort of bubbled into the same way, then I just felt desperately 
bad and I needed to I felt this need to tell you that I cared but I also didn't want to like virtue signal blah 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 but anyway it was a bit of a mess I think I way overthought it I probably should have just phoned you earlier on um <laughs> yeah yeah but um what I would love to know what like your perspective it doesn't have to be with me but like how did you find the again it's sorry this is like centering whiteness but I, I'm just talking about it in the context of this essay mm. the reactions from white people that you knew during Black Lives Matter or was it just not really high on your priority list at the time I mean I saw everybody posting it and then and then it just sort of took on a life of its own I don't as a group or as a as a as a concept as an as a white you know whiteness as a narrative I don't really expect much from that sort of I don't really expect mm, much mm. from white people as you know what I mean? Yeah. Like as a group. Um individually, obviously, as uh my best friend and, and my close friends or, or whatever it is, there's there's a, an expectation there for sure. But as a like in terms of other sort of acquaintance, white people or whatever, I didn't really expect people who had never spoken to about race before or had never shown any interest were like posting stuff and I'm like, really, girl, you yeah. Um so so yeah, there was a lot of just like gratuitous, just sort of just just doing it to have done it. Um, mm. And you can see that now because then nobody's posting about any of this shit. Nobody's posting about their favorite Maya Angelou quotes, and no. you know. And it was, yeah. I mean, I I yeah, and it it really sort of went to confirm everything that everybody was really skeptical about initially, which was that oh, this is for this white people are, you know, they can move on from this. And that's, that's something that they get to have. And, and yeah. And so I think on, on the one hand, it can yeah. also, it can come off as a bit, I don't know whether abrasive is the word or just like black people are just like, whatever, we don't really care. Um, but it's just, it's just, a lot of it is self-preservation. It's also just like, we can't continue to try and prove to you guys that we're human. And then the one day you decide to maybe look around yeah then you suddenly now we must be like, oh, well, welcome to the party, you know? Um, and and I knew that yeah, you, exactly. you think a lot about these things. We've had many, many chats about this. Um, so your reaction wasn't really a massive concern for me because I know I knew that we we were thinking about it. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's a level of mm. selection as a black person that you really need to do in terms of the white people you let into your life because... Because otherwise you're going to have a trap door at your wedding, you know, at your baby's yeah. christening. <laughs> and you don't need that. So, yeah. 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 And we're back to Atega. We have, like, this long-running joke that I tried to start a book club with her for ages. And then she joined the Black Horse Book Club in London. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's just something funny, like, I mean, it sounds silly, but it's just, it, it's um, a respect and recognizing that I just can't push myself into all of her spaces and that there's there's spaces that I will not be in. And um, and that is a complete act of, like, love and respect yeah. to do that. Just, I think, again, that awareness of just being like, oh, just remove yeah. yourself. You don't have to prioritize your desires, your, your, um, mm. your desire to be mm. there, to be present mm. yeah i don't know yeah just taking that like awareness um well i think it's recognizing that and you know i don't want to speak for anyone else but i think i've just realized is that my friendships with black women and you know most of my friends are women whether they're white or black but my friends black women or black people 
they're just different from my friends friendships with white people and they're always mm. going to be yeah. and I think there is a level of understanding that just can't um that you know you just have with other black people that yeah. cannot be there with white people because they don't have the same experiences but mm. different friendships are different you know my friendships with I suppose with my gay friends are different because I'm straight and there is a frame of reference that I just don't have and I try to understand but there's you know it's it's just a different life experience so yeah yeah well that's why I like I mean your description of saying of like of of um going to a black event and and it being cleansing like that does make inherent sense right of a yeah like I guess it's like walking into a room that's not filled with trap doors yeah exactly it's it's being able to completely relax and it because you know that that you know it was a black friend's birthday was directly after I'd had quite a sort of bruising experience with some I guess insensitive or racist white people I really really needed that and it was the ability to 100% relax and know somebody's not going to say something stupid and I think I you know that yeah there are there are times where I go in social situations and I do slightly steal myself mm. because I'm expecting something. Um, and again, you know, more and more I just outright try and avoid those situations. And I remember, you know, after the situation I wrote about in the essay where I'd sort of known to be on my guard, even going into it, like I hadn't wanted to go because mm. I knew what sort of white people were going to be there. Um, afterwards, I was like, oh, well, I should just have trusted my instinct and not gone. Yeah. And it was it was strangely validating because I was like, wow, you really saw that one coming. Yeah. Like not one, but two racist incidents in one evening. Like mm-hmm. next time you feel like not being in, not going to an event or not being in a space because you think it's going to be full of a certain type of white person, just don't go. Um, yeah. That was a lesson, I think, to myself. I think I'm quite clear in the essay and especially in the conclusion what... I think needs to be done Mm. and it sort of remains to see whether white people will do that or not and obviously I have made a prediction as to what I think will happen um but you know I think something that just being really clear and I thought about this is I'm not that interested in being a sort of like allyship coach for white people or sort of Mm. where do we go from here and 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 what what I think is a question that I've been asked so many times in the past and, and it's very much a what do we do I'm like I'm not going to do nothing <laughs> like, yeah yeah you guys figure out what to do I yeah I I understand and respect there are certain black whites and act- activists who are happy to do that work and to make recommendations but that's not what I set out to do with this essay it's not what I set out to do with my work I feel like the only thing that I can do is to speak honestly and, and to tell the truth about the situation and you know, I, I'm not gonna sort of break my back trying to persuade white people yeah. to do the right thing is how I feel yeah but you know in terms of discussing race I mean absolutely I mean so much of my work and my writing is personal you know I'm currently finishing up a sort of memoir that's mm. coming out next year and that's like a, a full-length book and again obviously I address race in it quite extensively it's always going to be, you know, a feature of my work as long as, well, yeah, as long as I continue to write. I was about to say as long as my conti- my work continues 
to focus on my sort of personal experiences but I think even if even if I'm not you know talking about my own personal experiences it's just an aspect of the world that absolutely shapes how I see it so it's always something I'm going to discuss but I think I I've probably just chosen to address it in a slightly different way from a lot of the conversations about race and racism and and what we do about it because I'm obviously very invested in the dismantling and ending of racism but I I just don't see it as my job to kind of come up with a strategy for it. So I'm sure you heard that what I said to Otega about book club, which is, it doesn't make you laugh as much as it makes me laugh. Because yeah. I've like, been like desperately, desperately trying to do a book club. I, and, I love and so then, hard. And then you picked the first book and I read it and I rocked up with all my little paper notes and you hadn't even finished it. <laughs> That's true. Oh my God, I remember that. You were like, oh, you wanted to cry. I was like, sorry. I was work, work, girl. Work the um, way. But yeah, I just thought, again, I was like, I don't know. I, you know, it's so funny because I think something like Black Girls Book Club, I just, I kind of like using it as an example because I think so, what's funny is, again, like, because this is what I'm trying to say also for white people is like start having these conversations because then they're already not that overwhelming and that intimidating. And like, I know if, if I had said to certain friends, like, oh, like, oh, you have a Black Girls Book Club, um, then they'd be like, oh, that's like weird. And why are you not allowed to go? Isn't that like anti-racist? And I'm like, oh my God, no. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's it's just a, yeah. a really good example of being like, I could see when I hung out with you afterwards, like w- how much uh, energy and ha- like they just you just get something from that space that, oh, um, yeah, 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 that like, it, and I don't know, it's just funny just to explain again, like it's that it's also just okay that I don't have to like a insert myself into any every <laughs> corner of your life yeah, as much yeah. as I'd love to. Um, <laughs> but also that, like to respect how I th- again I think it, it's it comes brings back to that that understanding that basically the rest of the time you are in my white girls book club. <laughs> if that yeah, makes sense. Like yeah, yeah. the majority of the other time you are in spaces that are made for people who look like me. Yeah. So Yeah, um, I think that, yeah. That, that that book club uh, did a lot of things for me. I think like not just that, but also spaces that were specifically black and like outwardly black and like word on its sleeve. And, and of course, like, I think because when I moved here, I was like, yeah, it's going to be cool. They speak English over here. It's, it's like, mm-hmm. it's going to be a breeze. And it was this like constantly confronted by the fact that I was black everywhere, which is, you know, lovely, love being black anyway, but it's just like, also just microaggressions everywhere. There wasn't really a space where I could feel like I could exhale um, is really what it mm. felt like prior to joining that that book club. And then later I joined a black girls writing club. And then later, you know, it was then just, it just took on a life of its own because I, I felt like I needed it. I ne- I really needed it. So I liked the, you know, what Otego was saying about like um, a cleansing. I That was like, you know, after you attend your life, basically, which is going to work with white people, being in the tube with white people. And yeah, mm-hmm. you know, luckily I live in Brixton. So, um, but yeah, so it it, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. I did feel bad about the one time we started, we tried to start a book club and it was like, you know, false start. <laughs> <laughs> the okay. card just wouldn't okay. go. <laughs> the 
I wouldn't go. I'm, I'm still being um, I'll get over it. <laughs> um, yeah. But um, yeah, and I think also do you um like um like when I brought up your birthday, like that was right in the middle of, of everything that was happening and your friends are like amazing and yeah um but that was also just a really good moment for me because I just was like yeah this is um I could almost see like you guys wanted to talk and you, you have to I think also just be aware of when you're changing the dynamic yeah sometimes. yeah yeah and that's a very specific situation that maybe a lot of people aren't going to find themselves in but again it, it becomes of that like othering yourself a little bit like being aware of your whiteness because you just walk around not realizing that you're white so yeah. you just start to notice being like, oh, my whiteness is actually changing how people are moving through the space. Yeah, yeah. And just to note it and realize it and understand what that what what um, influence comes with that. Yeah, I'd really, you know, obviously there's been a lot of opposition to black only spaces and stuff, and and I think it all comes from really a space of really not realizing how you is ubiquitous the word just like how completely all-encompassing and like it just swallows you up whiteness is it's just everywhere so of course you don't see it you don't mm. see yourself as a racialized being because you haven't necessarily been racialized black people have been you know they're supposed to carry this whole burden so of course they don't they do they see um they equate you know black only spaces or whatever with the idea of racism because they just don't it's just mm. you know these false equivalents are very easy to make if you just don't not aware of it um but yeah um yeah my birthday was dope so thanks for coming <laughs> this was my last question for Tega before we move on to the conclusion I mean, one uh, one uh, last question, I guess, which is more I, I, on the podcast. I sort of like to dig into like the storyteller themselves, and then the the form of the story, and then the actual story itself. So, yeah. um, the idea of the, of of the essay, like, what what was that like? Because I I've been really enjoying. I mean, from my I'm not a literary world um, person, so just from my limited viewpoint of one, um, the the publishing of essays seems to have become a lot more popular over the last few years like I love yeah. them I think it's like a fantastic way of yeah. um getting these concepts out and they're sort of infinitely shareable and giftable in a funny way do you know what I mean like they yeah. they really great way to like share with friends and family so could you tell me a little bit about um the process I mean I guess maybe sorry if you've already answered this but um of deciding to put it in this particular form like did you enjoy that as a writer um, yeah yeah um yeah. I think for me I, I've I really enjoy essays as a format in terms of, of reading them. Um, I think most of my favourite sort of non-fiction books and writers tend to be essays or essayists. Um, mm. So for me, that's a form that I'm definitely attracted to. I think it allows for a, a sort of a slightly more meditative quality to books um, or to writing. So for instance, I knew that this wasn't going to be a sort of more like reported feature kind of style. I, you know, yeah. I very much wanted to have the room to kind of, or the ability and the freedom to just almost be quite self-indulgent, Like I, I, I think, and to just kind of, I saw it very much as kind of like an excavation of the inside of my mind and my feelings. And I think essays really allow you to do that and they allow you to go on these little tangents Um so I always knew that this, you know, and I said initially when I first thought about writing this, I thought about pitching it to 
know a couple of publications that I like reading. But first of all, I knew that the length I wanted it to be would, would kind of be too long for most, you know, I knew they'd kind of want a 15 to 2000 word essay and, and this is much longer than that. So I knew it wouldn't work in that sense. But also, I think sometimes you're under pressure as a writer when you're writing for certain sorts of publications to kind of come up with a neat conclusion mm. um, and to come up with something almost quite sort of positive or to be a like to kind of have a where do we go from here yeah, yeah. And, like round it up yeah. yeah and I was like well like, that's just not going to be in this essay so mm. I think it's just you know and maybe one day I'll kind of expand on this and turn it into a longer essay or you know a collection of essays about different things but I think I knew that I wanted it to be a long essay I wanted it to be printed and in physical form and I guess I just it was fortunate that I had that relationship with my publisher where they just kind of very instantly went for it like there was no persuading yeah. required like they instantly got in got the format right. and yeah I think that's sort of how it, it, it came together yeah okay great and I mean how how do you feel like like you you have said like you know um what happened early in the year and, and the idea of sort of white people sort of self-educating and I mean it is inevitably going to happen with this book like what do you think you'll be <laughs> you'll be thinking when the when the book comes out and it starts um showing up on white people's social media have you thought about it <laughs> yeah I have I have it? thought about that actually and mm. it's a really good question because even as you know it's gone out to kind of early press and you know friends of mine who work in media who are white and I'm struggling slightly to um I, I would say accept their praise or I'm struggling with how to respond to them saying I don't think anyone's used the word enjoyed but I'm struggling to, with how to respond to their responses to it um yeah and I know I will probably struggle with that um with social media when white people post it you know on one level, I really want it to be read widely. Mm. That's why I wrote it. I, I want, you know, every single white person to read it. And so for me, social, obviously I understand how social media works, even in terms of promoting books and getting them out there. You know, I want it to be read. And so I think for me, I kind of have to discard any discomfort I feel about worrying that it's performative and think well okay at least that might encourage someone to read it because yeah. that for me is what I want I, I just want this to be really widely read um yeah I guess it's always that like that that, that this is the sort of the cell with social media is like you'll no one will ever know like for the one person who posts it performatively is that there's like the hundred people who buy it and will never post it but it actually informs them deeply or you know sparks conversations or whatever so all that stuff that's offline that is unmeasurable compared to the like performativity which is so visible you know yeah yeah Yeah. I mean I'm yeah I'm I'm obviously promoting it on social media and it's because I want it to be read so I kind of I'm not trying to um kind of suss out people's motivations for posting it because I think that would just drive me mad and I kind of Mm. realized quite early on that that was again a kind of tension or contradiction between the content of the essay and you know the fact that I want it to be really widely read that I'm just not going to be able to resolve Hmm. yeah yeah but again not not um 
not your homework at the end of the day, I guess. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, yeah. Not, really my problem. <laughs> not really my problem. Okay, well, um, um, I'm I'm so excited for everyone to read it. Um, I, I'll definitely be sending around. I just think also because um, uh, from a white person's experience, you know, a lot of people have they've moved on from that heat and the the heat and the emotion of the summer, and have mm. kind of gone back to just worrying about what they normally worry about. And I think it mm. is a timely, um, um. I want to use the word reflection is not the right word. Um, no, I think it's reflection. I wonder how many people are still interested in, in reading about it. Like I, I don't tell my publisher, um, <laughs> but I, again, I'm like, I think what, I think a lot of white people have probably moved on. I don't know. Mm. Maybe that's cynical. And, and I'm, I'm very conscious that it's going to be read by far fewer people by virtue of coming out now in November then obviously if it come out in like July or whatever which would have been impossible because it was a reflection of that period of time um so I yeah I'm conscious of the fact that a lot of white people have just moved on and they've kind of felt like they did their bit mm. back in the summer and it's exhausting to think about this sort of thing constantly and it's uncomfortable as well for white people mm. so yeah, I'm I'm intrigued as to sort of to see, you know, outside of any kind of like ego as an author of like wanting lots of people to read your books, I'm intrigued to see how widely read it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well I'll be watching too. I'm also I'm also very interested to see, even just from my my little worldview, um uh you know it'll be interesting to see because yeah I'm, I'm 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 quite intrigued to see if people are um who made these big pro- proclamations over the summer and who really doubled down it i'm interested to gauge where they yeah. are at um, exactly exactly with how much how much they're actually willing to follow up with what they what they said that they wanted to do yeah. um okay so just the where can people um pre-order the book um actually i think by the time this come out this comes out it, it will be it'll be live so um okay. So finding the book and finding you on social media, where are the best places? So finding the book, you can order it sort of online at any good bookstores. I think I think bookstores are actually going to be closed thanks to the uh, pandemic, but you can order it online from obviously the Big Bad Amazon, Waterstones, Hive, which is my personal favourite because um, it supports indie bookstores. I think there is a new platform that's just launched as well called bookshop.org. Um, so basically, yeah, anywhere that books are sold you can get it there and in terms of finding me on social media i am at otavia uagba on twitter and instagram so yeah follow me there okay fantastic and i'll add all the links in the show notes so people can just click um okay well thank you so much i really appreciate um that you spoke to me in the first place as a relative unknown and a and a, and a white as we joke in my circle. <laughs> um so yeah thank you so much i i really appreciate it and um i can't wait for everyone to read it Thank you. This was a great conversation. So, um, a taker's conclusion. Um, I, I hate. I think she's. I think she's right. Um, yeah. And okay. So her conclusion. Her conclusion is that um, uh, this handing over of responsibility um, to white people, and her conclusion is that they are not gonna they we are not gonna um hand over power and that she doesn't expect much which she very accurately sums up you know the entire colonial history 
<laughs> on that assumption. Um, what what did how did that make you feel that that conclusion that um, that she came to? That she that she's basically handing over and she doesn't expect much. It's almost a cathartic experience and just calming to you to just be like, wow, this is like, I'm not going to carry this. I can't uh, I can't do this my whole life because mm-hmm. I'm the one who's in therapy twice a week because of microaggressions and and trying to figure out and give solutions and being in all of these diversity training camps to help, you know, to help everyone. I'm the one, you know, mm. having to bear the burden of all of this. And yeah, it's, it's, it's really freeing to be like, I'm actually handing over the work. I totally get it. I, I get how somebody can get there. And honestly, partly part of it is just like not even getting into conversations about race with certain, with, with certain circles or just not even getting drawn into certain conversations um, mm. even if somebody shame is well-meaning or something, but it's just like, I just know you don't have the range yeah, or something. Um, yeah. And I mean, yeah. sorry, I don't know if you heard in the outro there, I was like, thanks for speaking to me as a white, is the white thing, is that a, is that a South African joke? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we yeah. we say that or we said that. Oh my God, anyway, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you, you could hear how nervous I was throughout the um could you, you could no I actually i wanted to say no you didn't you were like totally on it you were like breathing correctly i didn't even hear you inhale too much oh you know you know how nervous i was um yeah i know <laughs> i know i felt like i held it together and then at the end i was like oh thanks from the whites and then i was just like oh my god stop talking stop talking white stop <laughs> so anyway so well thank you to you Sadie, for coming on i really appreciate it um yes thank you for being my thank you have me on again we'd yes. love to invite me well, if you enjoyed it um i will want you back like all the time we could even you know we should just have our own podcast yeah hi mom you should She's say hi to my mom to my mom listens she'll be so chuffed to hear your voice <laughs> hi mom number two number two yeah on the other side um okay cool so everybody as usual please do um email me any thoughts or questions you have at storytellerpod at gmail.com zandi will tell you that i love writing emails um and i've gotten a few emails from you and i love 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 um replying to them so send your thoughts and ideas yes please everybody do that so do you like social stuff bothering me <laughs> and yeah i'm doing my best over on the socials even though social media is evil but i'm genuinely trying really hard to make um especially the storyteller instagram um like a valuable um space so it's not just like bleh, content all the time um but also let me know if you like that i'm doing podcast recommendations i'm trying to collate the lessons from the different people that i've speaking to spoken to people that i've spoken to and yeah just trying to make it a bit more fun and a bit more valuable so it's not just a channel for um vomiting out the episode on once a week um that sounds like a lot of free content lisa that's amazing i hope that your listeners will be able to subscribe <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by the british government who's paying money <laughs> <laughs> thanks british government thanks fellow scheme um okay cool well until next time thank you for coming on sunday i love you i love you bye (laughs) oh god do we still say bye (laughs) 